0: HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com/hraa to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF.
1: Hello and welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo of Resolve Asset Management Global. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left brain robots, right brain poets, and everything in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Hello, Hi. hello. All right. Hi. Happy hour. On the go. <laughs> yes hey perth how are you
2: i'm good how are you thank you for having me
1: Um thank you for coming thank you for coming let's uh what's <laughs> everybody down drinking down today i um, i know uh perth you had a big bottle of vodka right next to you yes um
2: yes that's and then the, a little
1: bit of rose you're gonna prime <laughs> your vodka <laughs> drinking with that with that tiny bit of rose yes <laughs>
2: there's
3: gotta be a name for a drink that combines oh. vodka and rose i don't know let's, let's name <laughs>
2: it <laughs> This is Cheers. Rodrigo's favorite rosé.
1: It is. So cute. La Ville Fermé is my favorite rosé of all time. There was a <laughs> p- spot in Toronto called uh, The Local that used to have that as their, ah. s- their special, like, half price. You know, basically buy the bottle with the same price you would buy at the LCBO, which is a Canadian version of a communist liquor store.
2: Nice. <laughs> so I would... Um, Go freedom. I would, uh, yeah, that's
1: right. It's the opposite, it's right? Like, this is this is actually perfect... <laughs> this is actually a perfect segue to the the Freedom uh, ETFs, Because yeah. indeed, in, in Ontario, there's one place to buy liquor, and it's the Liquor Board of Ontario, the LCBO. Oh, wow. And there were, you know, you'd have to drive 20 minutes to that go to that one place to have a limited supply. And uh, sure I guess I the, advantages is, the advantage is that they had purchasing power. They, they were one of the biggest um, purchasers of alcohol in the world, so that the government could maximize or minimize their cost, and then maximize the cost of the end uh, client, because the taxes are outrageous.
2: Sounds like so it's, any. For chance. the
1: for the user, it is the most expensive <laughs> in the world, but for the government, it's the cheapest purchase you could have. It's it's See, that's- just. That's, Let's uh, rage about that today. Okay, but before that, we, do. we actually <laughs> need a
3: separate disclaimer for Rodrigo's rant there on, on <laughs> Sorry, the CBO. There's only like a, maybe 20% of those facts are true. So, okay, Rodrigo, give us Who the part? full disclaimer. Give no, the you go disclaimer. for the, you
1: know what? Because of that, you're doing the disclaimer today.
3: Okay. Call me out right. on my um, facts. Uh, if this is for entertainment purposes only. You should absolutely not take anything that we say as investment advice. And um we we hope that everyone has fun and, and joins in and asks questions and and uh thank you very much to Perth for joining us today. So Perth, it's been a while since we've actually caught up a person. I think the last time we got together was for the March for the Fallen and what what year would that have been? Like it was twenty nineteen, I guess, right? So
2: nineteen or 18?
3: eighteen. Was it Were you there, yeah, was it, it
2: was was you there in nineteen? Ago.
1: Or eighteen?
3: Wow.
2: What happened
1: to twenty nineteen? There was no
2: there
3: was no no, wait hold on a second it was
1: you were in the I was there were were you there when Carmen was there like there was I remember there was a bunker for like four four ladies so
2: 2018 I did the march 2019 I was there but I didn't actually march so I just showed up for the pizza
1: okay
2: Okay. well that's fair that's That's a a smart move wasn't planned to be that way but uh (laughs) yeah Oh, I see Rod
3: Rod um, abdicated in 2019. So did I, oh, wh- I throw about
1: that? I don't even remember. It's all it's all blur. He abdicated. Right. All right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, his his uh his role at the top of the heap there. He always ran at the very very tip of the the column, ah, if you'll recall. Okay. With all the keeners. Anyway, we, we probably <laughs> dwelled too long on that. Since that time, Perth, what have you been up to? Tell us, tell us your story. I guess before that. Uh, And since what have you been doing?
2: So, uh, 2019, we launched the uh, the fund based on the freedom weighted strategy, and um, so it's been it's been a fun ride. Um, I'm we just hit 100 million in AUM. Um, We basically. Uh, isolated the freedom factor uh, with emerging markets. So because emerging markets, I'll just give a little background in case anyone's not familiar. Emerging markets funds typically have about 40% allocated to autocracies, about 35% currently to China alone. So we saw a lot of concentration risk um, there in the current strategies out there. Um, so we launched the Freedom Weighted, the Freedom 100 um, product, Um, to to basically address that issue. And um, so that also investors don't have to allocate so much money to autocracies in their emerging markets allocations. So the freedom weighted product, um, we isolated the freedom factor, we look at both personal and economic freedoms, 76 variables, um, quantitative third party uh, metrics. And, uh, and basically, that's, that's all we use on the the country level, It's 100% freedom weighted, it's not an overlay, it's not a a tilt, it's 100% freedom weighted versus market cap weighted. So, um, so excited to see how people responded to it uh, so far.
1: So let's just, I want to even like, even before we talk about, oh, yeah, we got that, I'm super, I want to understand okay. <laughs> how, how you even thought about doing, like tell us a bit about your history where you started, what you were interested in when you got into the industry, and then what led you down this very unique I, path. I
2: see why we need wine for this, okay, so. Yeah, that's right, we need to, yeah.
1: this, is, uh, this is catharsis at, at its best, let's yeah. go.
2: So, um, so I grew up in both China and the US. Uh, I was born in Beijing, grew up there until I was about nine. My parents came to the US, One, uh, my dad came when I was one, my mom came when I was four, I came when I was nine, I was living with my grandparents in the meantime. Um, what year was I this? Would, uh, what year did I come over?
1: Yeah. You know, it's rude to ask a lady her age. Oh, my God. am I, Is that a bad thing? To, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, no.
2: 1988. <laughs> okay. I emigrated to Canada in 89, actually, so I, I'm just I, trying to. Yeah. It was three days before my ninth birthday. So I, I say nine because I think of being nine in the U.S., but, um, but yeah, it was I was technically eight. So it's 1988.
1: Um, We're the same age and emigrated at the same time. Really? We eat, we drink the same wine and those hydrangeas behind there so are like my favorite <laughs> of all time. This hey, is yeah, what's going on. I'm just going to
3: sit back. I'm here sorry, and let you guys mind melt, man.
1: <laughs> okay, wait, go wait.
2: On. remind me where you came. You I came from?
1: from Lima, Peru, from South right. America. That's right.
2: Okay, yeah. that, that's a very free emerging market, by the way.
1: Just yes, not yes, liquid indeed. enough. It's
2: not liquid enough to be in the in so places. free, so
1: free that they actually burnt through COVID completely without any vaccinations, and now they're down to nothing. They're very free. <laughs> what like people just people just said whatever they wanted to and now it's like covid is over wow now, and i
2: didn't they're know just that. starting
1: to ramp up vaccinations yeah very few. we'll talk about the freedom of peru in a second um but go on yeah. sorry i interrupted a nine years old came from China, from beijing yeah and uh where where in the u.s did you guys land
2: i um uh, grew up in the dallas area plano if you're familiar with that um it's a suburb in dallas and uh yeah. um after college, I went to college in, in Texas as well at Trinity, and then after college, I um, went back and lived in Hong Kong. I had never shared on a podcast before the the last one I was on with James Warner in Austin. Um, but the reason I was in Hong Kong was not to like, you know reconnect with my uh, you know background, but it was to reconnect with my dad. I found him. He wasn't around growing up. I found him um, the summer of two thousand three. And he said, come mm-hmm. to Hong Kong. And so I, I came to Hong Kong <laughs> and that's wow. why I was there. So when I was in Hong Kong, I traveled a lot to like Beijing, Shanghai, other cities, Shenzhen, other cities in in China, um, as you tend to do when you live over there, just travel around. It's only in the U.S. that we tend to like stay in one place a lot. I mean, not not you guys, but a lot of people tend to just stay in there. It's very, you know, insulated. But over there, everybody, you know, travels. So <clears throat> um, so I traveled a lot throughout China and I, I saw the difference that freedom had made in my life and also in the markets in these places. So, you know, one story that I commonly tell is I had a friend who we called Maggie, who um, didn't have an an official existence on paper. She didn't have a birth certificate or school records or hospital records or um, social security benefits because she was born the second child and her parents registered her brother for school. This is during the one child policy. So I was born in the beginning of the one-child policy, which lasted for 30 years, and then, then they went to two and then three. So now they're allowed to have three children. But that's just an example of the, the kind of policies that affect demographics, you know, affect society, affect markets for generations. So that's when I realized, okay, policies matter, um, made a difference in my life. It changed the whole culture of my generation in China. Um, so that was like the seed of it. But of course, at that time, I was 23. I didn't know anything about ETFs or anything like that. So when I came back to the States, I worked at Fidelity as a financial advisor and um, had clients who at the time, you know, a lot of clients wanted to invest in China, emerging markets and so forth. Uh, But I also had clients who, like me, came from like Saudi Arabia or Russia. I had a Russian client tell me, hey, I don't want to invest in Russia. It's like funding terrorism. Um, So I had clients who had that mentality of where like I do believe in the growth in emerging markets. But I believe in the the, the free people to drive that growth and I want to invest in the freer ones or just support those markets more. So that's kind of eventually with the growth of ETFs, the growth of passive, um, the idea solidified and um, I actually left Fidelity not because of this but because I had a young child and to stay home with her. Uh, But in the back of my mind this was always there and so eventually um, when my kid got old enough to be in school and I had a little more time um, that I started this. Okay. So what does
3: it look like to to start this? Right. So, I mean, you had this idea of wanting to express your, um, views on investing in, in free societies. How did that turn into, or, you know, crystallize into an actual Mm -hmm. product?
2: Yeah, well, it went very slowly because I was a a single mom to a young child at the time. But the first thing that needed to happen is we had to have quantifiable metrics or quantified metrics. And at the time, there were not um, human freedom metrics that were quantified. So by human freedom, I mean the combination of personal and economic freedom. And so along with some quant friends of mine, we actually created... Uh, a system of quantifying human freedoms called the HRQ. And we had a human rights potion, and we had um, a a provisional patent on this. And then one day when I went to start scoring countries, this is after I left Fidelity, I went to start scoring the countries in preparation to um, create this index, Um, which by the way, scoring the countries using that system takes about four or five months out of the year, because you're looking at a lot of countries a lot of quant, uh, qualified data not quantified data and turning it into quantified data so it's it's a lot of work um and there's a lot of inputs a lot of data sources so um and there's you know of course 26 countries in the emerging markets universe So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work um mm-hmm. so so i went to score the countries or start the process and when i went to our economic freedom data set source to their website, which was Fraser, um, out of Canada, um, I saw that they had something on their, on their website called the Human Freedom Index and Dataset. I was like, oh, human freedom. So I, I thought they were only good for economic freedom. So I went, I went there and I checked it out. Um, remember, we had a patent on a system of doing this at yeah. the time. And I contacted my contact there, Fred, who um, I was like, hey, Fred, what is this? And so we compared notes and it was almost identical, like the two systems. They used the same, like, um, uh, ordinal scale system that we used. It was it was almost identical. So I was like, Fred, can I just use this system? And that would save me, like, four or five months out of the year and give me third-party objectivity. And he was like, yeah. yeah. that's neat. But, yeah, so that's how we – that was the first step is having that, um, that data set that um, combined all 76 of those metrics, and, and I'm talking about, like, civil freedoms, or you can call them social, political freedoms and economic freedoms. So like civil freedoms are things like terrorism, trafficking, torture, women's rights. They have a uh, missing women proxy that um, accounts for things like the one child policy because there's 30 million missing women in China due to that policy. Um,
1: right. Okay. So similar policy to to what you described about your friend.
2: Yes. That's a, the same policy that caused 30 million missing women. So she's one of the lucky ones. She's not missing. She's there. But there's 30 million right. missing women, right? According oh to God. Chinese okay. official estimates, and some people have it at 60 million. But Chinese official data estimates uh, from Chinese uh, sources are it's 30 million. Wow! Um, right. So that's a lot, of generations lost, right? So that's very inefficient use of human capital, right? That's one of the things we try to avoid by avoid uh, by investing in freer markets. Is that very inefficient use of capital? Um, so. So that uh, what that's basically um, how this started, and uh, we started using this data well, set.
1: Can I? Can I? Can we dig? Okay, so that I got a good idea of the first one. There's three components. Yeah. Go through the yeah. second one and what that means. Yeah, and maybe some examples. Thank
2: you. Of so, that. so yeah, political freedoms um, are things like civil procedures, criminal procedures, um, judicial independence, freedom of speech, media expression, religion, internet, so on and so forth. Um, And then economic freedoms are things that we're all familiar with, like taxation, business regulations, freedom to trade internationally, sound money, um, things like that. So all of those combined together, we equal weight every single variable um, and we use the composite score and then turn those into country weights.
1: You equal weight all of the variables. All Uh,
2: 76, so missing women, right? It's one variable. Freedom of speech, one variable number of journalists like are journal- those
1: variables from zero to ten what's the it depends what's-
2: some variables are zero to ten some are zero to five some are zero to 100 it just depends on the variable but they're all we normalize it all and it it's okay the in score is zero to ten but so then we turn it to zero to 100 for the sake of our for it to work in our algorithm
1: and then, so you're, we're, we're talking about countries. Do we also get into regions? Like, for example, I, India has got, you know, a single state will have the population in the United States, similar in China. Like, are there, I guess China's more mm-hmm. uniform, but are there, no, is, it's it country not, based actually, but is it country-based or is it state-based?
2: It's country, country-based, country-level okay. only. Um, and that's a good point because, yeah, in, in a lot of these countries, there are variations regionally. Um, yeah. But yeah, we are looking at the, the country base. And, and the reason we look at country versus security level metrics, because most ESG is security level metrics, actually all ESG except us. And we don't claim to be ESG um, is security level. Uh, um, we don't look at security level because the countries, the, the governments in these countries are best positioned to protect human freedoms, not companies.
1: Right.
3: How do you address the potential issue of, and I'm sure you get this all the time, but I mean, you could anticipate a situation where um, a slew of countries with very small market caps end up with very high scores. Mm. And
2: like, yeah. So, so we do have,
3: you've got liquidity issues there, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we have a, a, it's, so if you look at the process, right, the first step, is actually not freedom waiting. The first step is we exclude countries that have too low market caps and too low um, liquidity. So the minimum market cap and minimum liquidity comes first, and that brings the 26-country universe down to about 18. So countries like Peru are very free but don't have the liquidity, the minimum liquidity um, that we need. Oh,
1: man, we're not, in countries- your in- we're not in your index?
2: No, it's so sad. Almost, though, like you're almost there. Uh, it's Come the liquidity on, the issue.
0: Oh, this commodity
1: boom cycle is going to be so good for us. We're going to be in there in no time.
2: I've actually been to Peru and I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I want that uh, country. Just in the make index. an
1: exception. Just break the rule once.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys know how 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 that goes <laughs> in a rules-based strategy. So, I thought uh, friends backed like... up
1: friends. What's going on? All right. Well, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Liquidity and filter. countries
2: like Czech Republic are too small, right? Um, but they're very free so so we actually exclude those yeah
1: okay so <laughs> the does so is there a threshold by which the freedom quotient is so low that you exclude them all altogether or are you weighting yeah. all countries and keeping them in at whatever freedom weight they should deserve?
2: this is a great question we look at the relative freedom to the relative absolute freedom level. So that sounds weird, right? Relative absolute. So we don't look at the change of freedom or the anticipated change of freedom. So like Argentina, when they, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we expected a lot of good changes on the economic freedom front, but it didn't actually happen, but they were expected. So if we had looked at, you know, the trajectory, we might've included a country like Argentina, which we did not because we look at the absolute freedom level. Um, If you look at the expected trajectories, then you're going to include like Venezuela, the worst freedom countries because they have nowhere to go but up, right? Um, So we don't do that. And also, we don't look at like a line in the sand, like what you're talking about, where you have to be, let's say, like, you know, there's 162 countries. You have to be number 81 or above. No, we don't do that um, because it's all relative to their peers. A lot of emerging markets are autocracies, and they're coming out of autocracies. Um, There was a time when Thailand was in the index, and they're... A military role, you know, country. So um, they're not in there currently. But you know, as the um, freedom waiting, the freedom scores change, uh, a country's decline in their score could push another country who didn't change in their score into the index. So it's all relative to their emerging market peers.
3: So you you said earlier that you don't claim to be ESG. I mean, this seems to me to be squarely in the domain of environmental, social, and governance, right? This is sort of governance at the highest level. Yeah. So why have you shied away from claiming to be ESG?
2: So the reason why I try to distance ourselves from ESG is, first of all, we don't look at the country level ESG metrics that Sustainalytics uses or whatever. Um, Second of all, emerging markets ESG is kind of a joke. Like if you look at iShares product, emerging markets ESG, it's got 40% 40% in China, like the parent index, it can only deviate 1% from the parent index. It's basically like greenwashing, you know? So it's, it's a bit of a joke in emerging markets. And I have come out with a piece, and I can send it to you guys, you can wait here if you'd like, uh, in one of our investor yeah, updates that, you know, that talks about this, where you have to have a, a basis of freedom before you can talk about company level ESG. Because if you don't even have freedom of speech or freedom of media, Then there is no independent verification for the data that a company or a government puts out. So that data becomes less meaningful as a a way to measure the impact of your investments. And uh, so you have to. So that
1: index is whatever market cap weight plus an ESG tilt. That's as far as they've gone on.
2: They're, yeah just well the what the is, is enough is they, to call no, it ESG They exclude alcohol tobacco this is the iShares product excludes alcohol right. tobacco weapons uh, whatever other ESG stuff uh, is excluded um, with the caveat that it cannot deviate more than 100 basis points from the parent index of the parent non-ESG market cap weighted index so oh it is God, market okay. cap weighted yeah
3: So <laughs> I, I just so, so I guess maybe I'm not understanding how indices and products come to be labeled as esg is there is there a hard like neon bright lines around the definition now because it seemed to me like it's it was always very fuzzy and you could create whatever narrative you like i mean from your comments it seems to me that your approach is far more true to the Idea of ESG than the expression of ESG in some of the more popular products, right? So yeah. why not sort of try to elevate the definition of ESG um, with you know your Freedom Index and your Freedom concept rather than shying away from the categories whole? Because it just seems like you're you're sort of sidestepping what is a uh, a huge fire hose of capital flowing in. in in a, the direction of ESG. I think your assertion is, at least when it comes to emerging markets, many of the products are misguided in their construction. Why not sort of elevate the conversation say, this is what you should think about what you think about ESG in an emerging market context rather than saying, we're not ESG because yeah. the other ESG products don't really express the values that we're trying to um, express.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Like I I would love to hear from the audience, you know, if we started calling ourselves ESG, let's say that, and by the way, there's a lot of scrutiny on that now from the SEC, but let's say we use, we add ESG factors. Okay. Let's say we exclude the two companies we have that are bottling companies, which would be excluded based on alcohol. Right. Um, Then if we called it ESG, would investors... Think that's a more true kind of representation of our product so i would love to hear if what people think about that because that's a really help,
3: help me out because I, i'm still I, i'm really i'm now curious because i don't yeah so if do you need to exclude companies that are considered to be non-esg in order to be like i just how clear is the definition yeah i actually you don't know SEC, um, i think so i think the, the way that
2: the, most emerge most esg not just emerging markets will use some kind of industry standard exclusion or whatever metric to exclude like alcohol, tobacco, gambling, uh, you know, porn and stuff like that. So um, so so, yeah, most would have to do some kind of company level metrics, I think. So if we wanted to call ourselves ESG first, we'd have to add those company level metrics, uh, which we've experimented before, because there's actually a, uh, a firm that licenses our index for ESG SMAs. And they add their own ESG on top of it. And what happens when they do that is they exclude like two or three countries every year. (laughs) So it's like very little change. Well, the thing is ESG. So yeah.
1: It's it's been interesting for me. And again, this is I guess something we all need to educate more ourselves more on, is that ESG tends to be whatever the ESG buyer claim de- deems to yeah. be important to them, right? As it's very this personal. particular SMA provider has done. So the idea that you couldn't present your case to be as Adam alluded to, you know, the the gold standard of ESG on the G side and that be enough seems like you know seems that's something you can definitely do and claim, and actually be one of the least uh, greenwash things on the on the investment <laughs> team right now. I agree, yeah, and without
3: maybe. without eliminating companies that don't meet traditional ESG standards, like I think you could sort of say, "No, we don't believe ESG. An expression of ESG needs to eliminate certain companies for the reasons that you yeah. just described, which I thought were really reasonable." Um,
2: no, but also about the other thing way. is like. There's so much of this anti ESG buzz going around. And Maybe that's just because I'm on FinTwit or something. But, um, you know, and ESG is a lot of buzz, but not a lot of asset flow. No, I, I see mean, what
1: you're doing, bro.
2: You know what I mean? It's a takeaway it's,
1: close. It's like, don't, I don't want to be, no, I, I don't even yeah. want to be labeled ESG. <laughs> and, and nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, yeah, that's a great, yeah, like, yeah, I don't well, even, no, I'm so actually, ESG, right? I don't want to be part of this group. <laughs> It's great. I love it.
2: <laughs> okay. That's a good point because like, yeah, that some people are like, okay, you're actually ESG. So we don't care what you call it. We're going to put you as ESG. But I think there's a lot of our clients that at least m- most of the ones that I know don't use us as part of an ESG portfolio. They use as part of their core emerging markets, which is the bigger asset um, pool. So
1: well, listen, for what it's worth, I think you you definitely should take a position in that space. It's a growing okay. space. Um, the 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 reason for wanting to be ESG, this generation pushing for a better world, is a good thing. It's something that's noble and we should try and, and do better for society and the next generation. And of course, what's mm-hmm. happening is that everybody's finding a way to call themselves ESG for the pure purpose of profit rather than... Um, actually doing good. I think you can position yourself without feeling bad about it as some is a fund that's actually trying to do good and not feel any shame for being part of that growth in that space. I think you would do you would actually add to it. So, one hundred percent. I endorse that. the ESG <laughs> label. You you got the okay. official Gordillo stamp.
2: <laughs> Sweet. Thank you. The official yeah, so, uh, yeah. Peruvian uh, that's right. Emerging yeah. market stamp. That's
3: what
1: it looks
2: like. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, we want to do the maximum amount of good, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and if you want to do the maximum amount of good in this industry, sadly, oftentimes you need to conform to whatever the industry nomenclature is, right? And you've got to fit into a category. And yeah, I mean, it seems to me that if, um, and it's it's a tremendous success to get um, any fund to a hundred million dollars. So, so I'm absolutely, I'm celebrating that huge success.
2: Thank you. Um, and, I, and I think yes.
3: you would get to multiple <laughs> billions if you would, if you would position yourself um, squarely in the uh, ESG <laughs> column, because I think you'd be able to redefine what ESG means in an emerging market context. And um you know, I would just love to see you elevate the conversation there and, and take a leadership role. So right. maybe we should
2: maybe we that should that discuss that. You guys, you guys should like do my marketing for me from now on. <laughs> okay, you're in. That's
1: that's fine. You know, okay. us in the fintech community, we all help each other in one way or another. That's you know, but easy. let's let's. I'd like to discuss perceptions here because I think if we're going to be fair with regard to the ESG conversation and the idea that E, S, and G are in the eye of the beholder, I would say that. Possibly, people in uh, in power in China, in Venezuela, in Iran, and the like, might take offense to you taking offense to their um, to their lack of freedom. Oh like, yes, we see lack of freedom a certain way, as in you get to do whatever you want, you got the freedom to do anything, but then you're taken away from society by not keeping them disciplined and focusing on what's most important. The thing that comes to mind for me is. China taking, uh, making it illegal for kids to be gaming as often as they are, a lot of people in the no. West were like, you know, I don't love everything that China does, but that's pretty good. That's <laughs> probably a good thing for society long-term. That is that is up there for me in terms of like the freedom of the mind to explore and do something great. So h- how do you feel about pushback there and and, and your definition of what freedom is versus mean, you're gonna
2: get pushback regardless of what you do so um what i found though with um and actually recently got some really weird pushback from uh, actually people in hong kong a random comment i made on twitter um and i love hong kong so much i mean it's part of the inspiration for me doing this so uh, these are people don't know me so i don't care but um that wasn't even market related comment so uh, but uh i think two things I, I learned from the pushback. One is with this most recent case, there's been a lot of trauma uh, in these countries, especially with Hong Kong and people are, are worn thin. And so anything you say that's, you know, could be perceived the wrong way. Um, and that's just the, the way with social media. Uh, but the other thing is that I learned throughout the time of doing this fund is, okay, we do get some pushback. Um, we also get a lot of encouragement. Um, and what I've noticed is that the the pushback from Depending on the country, it's country per country is very uh, different uh, by country. So, for example, I was in New York um, in a subway At one point, we were all waiting for this train that just wouldn't come. Uh, I'm talking to these other people next to me, and they were human rights lawyers from Brazil. And at this time, Brazil wasn't in the index. They are barely now. Uh, But they were like, hey, so is Brazil in your index? And I was like, no. And they were like, that's about right. So they like totally agree with me. Um, and then, you know, but, but China, which has never been in our index when this launched, I got so much hate from, um, China, uh, you know, internet and, uh, you know, and I can understand that. And they're, the only people that I can speak out in China are pro government, pro, um, CCP. So, so they have, you don't have the voices and uh, almost have to take that side. So, um, So yeah, what were their arguments?
1: uh, What were what were their um, arguments for them (laughs) being free?
2: Um, There were no really great ones, but the best one that I heard, um, and this was actually a huge favor they did for us. Um, The best one that I heard was somebody actually uh, was like, "Hey, why do you you know this is stupid?" But you know, uh, Nasper's, which is a South African company that invested a lot in Tencent. Back in the day and they made a lot of money on that investment right so they're like a media uh, private investment company so they they invested a lot in tencent and uh, tencent became their entire market cap and it became so big that it was too big for the it was taking over the johannesburg exchange so they had to like spin off a piece of it to this company called process and listed in amsterdam and so <laughs> um, so so they were like this is a fraud because you have a company that is all tencent and I was like, <laughs> that is a good point. That's and so,
1: point. so and that's we when you got to get the fundamental hat on. right?
2: Yeah. So we actually made a rule at the next rebalance because we have, we can't just, I can't just exclude NASPERS, right? It's a South African domiciled company. They don't answer to the Chinese government. Um, the Chinese government can't come in and say, oh, you're, you're a nonprofit now overnight, like they can with Chinese companies, right? So I couldn't just exclude that one company without a systematic rule. Um, So we made one. And it was if a company has over 80% of its assets in the stock of another company of an excluded country, then it's excluded. So we applied that rule across the board to the entire, you know, list of holdings, and only NASPERS met that rule and got kicked out. So that was a huge favor. I want to thank those people on Twitter who pointed this out, and also then picked up by some journalists who brought it to my attention. So I actually really appreciate the dissenting voices, um, sometimes, and they have. And good think
1: like, it says that Twitter is not, action. yeah, Twitter is not, is, is evil.
2: No, it's I didn't, I actually didn't take that very as, well. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't oh. take it very well at first. And, <laughs> and I was like, wait, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so they were right. And I just, you know, of course I wasn't happy about it at the time. Um, but then I was very happy about it afterwards because that was a, it did That's us a great. huge favor. So, yeah.
3: So, so I'm a little confused. So maybe you can help clarify. The way I understood it is, you the index is constructed by first kind of um, instituting a liquidity threshold, and if you're above the liquidity mm-hmm. threshold, then you go into the ranking mechanism,
2: right? Yeah. So country, country level.
3: At the country level, yeah. Yep. So obviously, China would exceed the liquidity threshold. Yeah. Right. So, yes. wouldn't it go into your ranking mechanism, and it would just rank? very low in many categories, therefore have a very small weight, but not a zero weight?
2: No, our algorithm actually assigns negative weights to countries that, yeah. So it assigns negative weights to the worst countries. And then it's an iterative strategy. So we do iterations until there are no countries that are assigned negative weights. It's It's not, we don't short, it's just- Right. No, we
1: don't take yeah, a long I don't think you could then. short. I don't think it would be a good shorting strategy yeah.
2: necessarily. <laughs> it's long only. This is a
1: values-based one. ETF, right? Yeah. Not, rather than an alpha-based ETF, yeah.
3: Okay, so you're ranking all of the countries on these 76 um, variables. Yeah. And then it's it's not an ordinal ranking or it's a rescaled ordinal ranking no, 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 no. so that the, if it's- So oh, you're
2: looking, talking about two things. One is the- Freedom scoring. One is the freedom weighting. Okay, the freedom Mm. scoring does use ordinal scales sometimes to turn to turn qualitative data into quantitative data. So that's Mm -hmm. ordinal scales. By that I mean, okay, if there's 20 journalist killings in one country in a particular year, we give it a score of zero. If it's 15, we give a score of one. If it's 10, we give a score of two, and so forth. That's one of the scoring mechanisms. Once right. we have the overall score, then we throw that score into our freedom weighting algorithm. And that's a totally different algorithm. And that algorithm is the iterative strategy that applies weights to the countries. And that's how we get the country allocations.
3: Would you indulge a in nerdy quant by sort of walking me through the... the- Waiting methodology, or is it really complicated and would bore everybody to death? No, it's,
2: it's basically that's basically all it is. It's very simple. <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> no, but I don't so I still it. don't
3: understand. So you've got so you've got all these ordinal scores, or are they are they just ranked? So like no, you've no, got no, all the different scores. Okay, so there's
2: 76 scores. Some of them came yeah. from ordinal scales. Okay. So don't worry about the ordinal scales. They all come out with a, a metric, a a quantitative yeah. score per country. So let's okay. say Taiwan scores 8.7 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Okay? So we use that 8.7, and that 8.7 is the combination of the 76. Right. So we use that 8.7, put it into our our freedom weighting algorithm along with the other countries in the eligible universe, and that algorithm then turns them into weights.
1: And they're all, at that point, they're all 0 to 10, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, all the scores are between 0 and 10. And they're typically and like, it's, a, it's not, let's say this is 0 to 10, they're typically like this, yeah. like between right. 4 and 8. <laughs> yeah,
1: Before 4 and 8, and, <laughs> so, and you, and you weight them accordingly yeah. based on their, on, yeah. on their final score, that normalized yes. score there. So, okay, just out of curiosity, which country is the most free?
2: Um, out of the emerging markets?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Taiwan. Cool. Out of
2: all markets, it's like New Zealand.
1: That's, that's so, that's awesome. That's like so controversial. It's not even funny in so know. many levels.
2: Right? <laughs> and like with COVID and all the things happening in New Zealand and Australia, everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, how are you, how is this going to affect the the scores? And first of all, I don't do the scores. Fraser, Cato, Friedrich Nellman, Freedom House, those guys do the scores, okay? Um, yeah. So ask them that, but also they already have Things that account for this, like freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, freedom of uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know, if, like vaccine choices. Yes, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the, there are things that are will will be affected by what's so, going on. So
1: I actually, now. I actually missed it. What was the lowest scoring country again?
2: It's Venezuela.
1: Okay, so Venezuela is in
2: Venezuela and oh, Syria. So- are typically they're not, right?
1: they're not they, they don't have a they're not in That's the, a, no, they're, the they're lowest scoring though.
2: country in the data set or in the,
1: in the in the in the index
2: okay so in the index even the lowest scoring country is relatively freer than its peers all right yep. so right now it's malaysia okay yeah so it's a, still a relatively freer country than like china russia saudi arabia those right. types of countries it's but it's but it's the lowest in our index because we have the freest country set
3: gotcha right I would love for you to tell me, because I know, um, or at least if I recall, Rob Arnott was one of the first people that you met with about this concept, right? Um, yeah. So I'd love for you to, like, how did that come about? And <laughs> what, did you,
2: what did you guys talk about? I love telling this story. Thanks for asking about it. So um, so basically, when I first started this, I had no idea what was going on. I just want to try to get an idea of the you know ETF ecosystem, try to figure out what's going on. So i went to inside etfs right like the most the biggest etf conference in the world um and that year i believe it was 2016. what is happening with rodrigo
3: he's got a standing guest okay
2: Okay. So, to off. <laughs> so this was like way before we even had anything um, but i went to this inside etf since 2016 and um shout out to inside etfs for uh, letting me go that year for uh, you know less than the, <laughs> the rate I was supposed to pay, um, and uh, and so so I uh, they were like, yeah, we think you can learn a lot, so come on over. <laughs> um, so so I went there, and that year there was an intra conference app um, where you can kind of tweet people within the conference. And somebody mm-hmm. who was in a China talk tweeted out, "I can't believe this guy is talking about China, and not once has he mentioned the one child policy and its implications." And I'm like hey, somebody here knows and cares about the one-child policy. And <laughs> so I, you know, talked to him, ended up meeting him, and um, he's like, hey, I'm the president of a couple of really small CFA societies in Tennessee, um, would you come and speak? And so I go and speak at these, like, tiny CFA societies, literally, like, 20 people. I think it, it was Chattanooga, uh, and the guy's name is uh, – um, he just literally texted me while we are on Ralph Lehman. So Ralph invites me to go speak there. And um, and they ended up liking the talk. I was talking about like basically, you know, new metrics for emerging markets, China being the inspiration. Um, and then they recommended me for uh, a Tampa Society. So, you know, all the societies like recommend speakers. Um, and Tampa was a forecast panel dinner. So it was bigger and it was like 300 people. I was on the panel. This, remember, it's my first year doing this. I had no idea what was going on. Wow. I was on the panel. Yeah, that's huge. with yeah, I was on the panel with David Kotak, BlackRock, and Morningstar. I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, that's so amazing. we that's get through cool. that. And then David Nerd Kotak, it, it goes well. And David Kotak, um, afterwards, uh, he and Sharon were there. And Sharon uh, Prasant, who runs a, a Camp Kotak, invites me to Camp Kotak. And I'm like, who does this? It's like 50 wow. economists that go that's fishing. That's amazing. Yeah, like apparently it's like like you know I didn't know that it was like super exclusive thing, and uh, it's like 50 i I'm like, there's fifty economists that go fishing in the middle of the woods by Canada with no Wi-Fi. Like, who does this? And so I was working with Christian Maguna at Amplify at the time. Christian's like, dude, you should go. You know, um, you can meet Barry Ritholtz because Barry goes to this thing. You know, masters and business guy. I was like, oh yeah. So so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go and you know meet Barry Ritholtz and all these other people. Um, so I was supposed to take a a car from the Bangor airport to the campsite, which would be a two and a half hour drive in the woods like this, um, because I didn't want to take a seaplane. But then I was so tired when I headed in because I I was heading in from Boston, New York and meetings there. And I called from the LaGuardia airport. I was like, Hey, I called the seaplane company. I was like, Can I is it too late to get a seaplane? I'm coming in today. And they were like, No, it's fine. You can share with Rob or not. He doesn't have anyone to share seaplane with and it's two, <laughs> two people per plane. So if I didn't go, he would have to pay the full price for two people. I was like, okay. So they like, they um, <laughs> they give me his American Airlines flight number and I intercept him at the airport. I'm like, hey <laughs> did they tell you we were gonna be riding together. And he was like, yeah. So <laughs> so we ended up riding together. And by the way, Rob doesn't go to this thing every year. He went like previously seven years prior and then to this day he hasn't gone back. Um, so okay. I was, there, he was only there that year because he lost a bet to Barry Redholtz and he was there to pay his bet and
1: a moment so in you, time. Thank you, Barry.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and so, and then by the way, when I left Fidelity and I wanted to start this, I called research affiliates because I was just a fan because you know, they do non cap weighted indexing. I wanted to do non cap weighted indexing. And I was like, Hey, do you guys want to work together? And they were like, no, please go away. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually true. you. Don't understand.
1: I was in a plane with Rob Arnott. I thought <laughs> no, no, that was all. That was before, I, that, that, was that, before that, that
2: happened. That was before oh, Rob Arnott, I see. Okay. plane. So then, like a year after that, I was, or maybe two, two years after that, I was in a plane with Rob Arnott, and you know he heard the idea. We fished together for four days, you know, three days with these uh, fifty economists and finance people like Barry, <laughs> and um, and then he became our first investor he was like well basically oh I asked him to be on a call with me I was like since you like the idea and I could use the the you know the credibility boost why don't you get on a call with me I'm trying to convince these people to invest and he's like sure so he gets on the call people didn't end up investing after the call he writes me and he's like hey I'll put in a million so that was like before we had a fund the fund didn't exist and the the index didn't exist in its current form and he decided to invest and so that was huge um that's huge and, yeah
3: that's really cool and that
2: and and then that investment grew over time. Now he owns basically 9.9% of Life and Liberty Indexes. Um, so he's a, an LP now um, in my firm. And I could not have orchestrated that. Like that, I tried with research affiliates. They were not interested. Um, so that's not something I could have orchestrated. And that's just one of, you know, that's one of my favorite stories to tell. But also that's just one of many um, where I had these confirmations along the way that this is a product that, that was, this is something that was bigger than me. I couldn't make it happen on my own. Um, and yeah. it needed to exist.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. So it needed to exist. I find, you know, almost everybody in this industry is in it to find the right wave. And you know, whatever that is, you're going to put your whole effort into and try to grow it from a perspective of growing your own, mm-hmm. own private wealth. There's more to it than that for you. I see in this uh, ETF, given your background, um, and it's it's like I said earlier. Seems like it's a value-based investment, right? There's a group of individuals who care deeply about this. It's a mission. It's a mission, right? You've you found your tribe, and and so is there like a community of people that like have you created? You don't and like you know what's the uh, the bogglehead. Uh, Crowd that talks about this stuff. Like how are you finding the community in this space? she's she is Did we lose her? I think we lost her. She's been a little bit jittery throughout. Yeah. Well, we'll get her back. I really and feel how like is, it's almost a because you Thailand? in to... you lived in a couple of a couple uh of years ago a couple years ago yeah uh, I'm always curious about Thailand as as a society and how did it, how did you, uh, how was, how was Thailand at the time and how do you think it is now from a freedom perspective?
3: Yeah. I mean, it seemed like an extremely free society when I was there. Um, But then I wasn't really paying much attention to the political context. And um, I mean, yeah. yeah, I was there sort of teaching and, Enjoying the beaches and traveling Southeast Asia, so it wasn't a top priority for me to to evaluate the the uh, you know social and political the, the and economic freedom of the yeah, Thailand. That's of the time. right. Sorry, I exactly. lost you
1: there. And we're talking about the yeah, You were going to tell about us about problem. how you build
3: your community. Yeah.
2: Oh no, I mean, I, th- I think the community. Uh, so when I left Fidelity, it was really hard because you know you have your coworkers when you're working for a big company and you know, you can bounce ideas off, you're talking to each other, like there's office banter, right? I didn't realize how social media would become office banter, like, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like on Twitter, it's like, it's like your office, basically. And um, that's one of the things that surprised me most is how much uh, that kind of built our culture and our community. Um, so really thankful for so that. So Probably everyone listening
0: to us do- now is
1: yeah from I that. Mean- you certainly find your tribe in Twitter think mean, we, we definitely found that ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. what's what I'm interested in with regard to your concept of what freedom is, and I guess it's not yours anymore, but it's a Fraser Institute that's doing, creating this quotient. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Hito, you were excluding Fraser, certain, others. you're excluding certain nations. I think one of them was freedom of religion, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. I imagine there are categories there that a, liberal group might find not welcome right that they might feel like if freedom of religion is this that's conflicting let's say with women's rights something's over having the ability to be free Mm. about your religion or the women's rights that that religion infringes on
2: interesting so so like in saudi arabia for example they're saying okay it's my religion to not let women drive or whatever right um so that would, in that particular instance, that would be captured in both uh, women's freedoms. So there's women's freedom to of movement. There's women's um, rights to children after divorce. There's FGM. There's um, women's uh, missing women, right? And there's women's rights to an inheritance. Those are the five women's freedom proxies. So all of those would be deemed in a country like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, um, which are all emerging market countries Um, so so those would all be dinged there but freedom of religion would also be dinged there because just because you have one religion doesn't mean they're allowing other religions so they're not gonna allow christianity uh you know uh, jewish religions like you know those types of or like hindu or you know buddhist it's only only muslim whereas in china it's like no religions are allowed especially not muslim right now and it's just you know there's there's you know absolutely no religious freedom whatsoever. So, so right. the, I think China and Saudi Arabia uh, type of countries would be similar in that respect because of the, and actually China would probably rank a little better on women's freedoms. So um, right. yeah, maybe much better on women's freedoms, but yeah, so it, if you, it would be captured you, in the overall.
1: In the overall if you outside mm-hmm. a, a bit of what becomes an echo chamber and in, in, in Twitter, cause it's your tribe. When you're mm-hmm. talking to people that have never heard of you and you tell them about your idea, do you get the vast majority of people being really excited about it? Or do some people find it a little off-putting that you're creating this type of co- what could be seen as exclusion? Uh, index? Yeah.
2: I mean, it's just a waiting mechanism. <laughs> so, uh, we, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's people who um, would, would find it, you know, off-putting. But do you get um, anybody being
1: like that? The generally you know people do, do people perceive it as a general thing i'm just curious whether you get any pushback
2: yeah i think like it's overwhelming the percentage me, of pushback
1: but, you get from the average person that hears it for the first time
2: i think the average person doesn't care how you weight emerging markets countries um uh, but the average person in finance <laughs> um I, <laughs> they're like what like i i literally the other day I was, um, right like the other day i was like what a breath of fresh air
3: perth you're you're, yes, you're so like, right
2: you know i have like this you know multiple mom groups that i'm in that the text groups right and i as the other day i was like oh my gosh like literally not one of these guys who i consider my friends know what i do at all so it's like you know it's okay my century. wife doesn't know
3: what i do so yes yeah. you know the, it's like I don't lonely think you're
2: thing. yeah so, I'm really thankful yeah. for you guys. Um, yeah. but also <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, but but also, you know, the uh, I think, you know, with something like this, we're we're gonna probably, you yeah, yeah, you know offend some people, and even sometimes the the wrong side will offend, you know, because you know we don't have certain countries. but uh, and and yeah, so like blackouts and in the internet and places that had. Uh, protests, they had, you know, media freedom issues, forcing um, of journalists by the government, uh, and they had the repression of the cash bowl. so their score dropped slightly, like, not slightly, their score dropped um, last year, and it kicked them out of the index, it kicked Brazil into it. Um, so, all of our fans in India, and we had a lot of fans in India, and I love India, uh, No, nobody said anything, and they, you know, and they're still supporting us, and they're like, well, we hope it gets back in, and I do but, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's so close. It's not your package. personal has,
3: vendetta, right? Like, yeah, you're not expressing your personal views here. You've right, got
2: like my subject of... Opinion, that, my subjective yes, okay. opinion doesn't go into it at all. Like, there's but, no room for I w- my opinions.
1: I want, I want to continue to pull on this thread one more time, and then we can, I actually want to learn a little bit more about opening up an ETF and, and working with Alvaric. Okay. <laughs> you're uh, really good at pulling on the thread. <laughs> am am like I, a dog I keep, with a I bone keep on not getting the answer I want? Honestly um, <laughs> not. I actually okay. So you do. It's not like you do have a personal um, interest in a freedom index, clearly. Yeah. So it's not sure. like. But once you have it, there's there's an algorithm, and you can say, look, whatever happens in the yeah. future, it's preset. Don't blame me for India being out. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But your views of wanting to put. Or life's um time into this thing i would imagine a lot of people that talk about negatively about china for example are afraid of traveling to china mm. um do you find any pressure there do you do you find yourself questioning whether you're going to go visit hong kong or are going to travel toward the, to beijing because of oh. your message
2: no i i've fully accepted that i cannot travel to hong kong or china anymore i absolutely can't um so that's yeah, actually that's kind incredible. of sad because I, I love hong yeah. kong yeah but the hong kong today is not the same as i was there no. um but still i love it and you know i, I wish i could still go back without fear of <laughs> you know being turned back would be, be the best case scenario um but, but yeah no i, I don't and I think a lot of I think a lot of people in this work, like our data providers, used to go to Hong Kong and present at the Lion Rock Institute and, and all the time. And now they don't. I think it's it's just accepted around the world now that Hong Kong is different and uh, China has become more authoritarian, and, and you got to be more careful if you're doing any kind of freedom related or human rights related work. Personal
0: okay. Well, look, before
3: we get what into before yeah. we get into Rodrigo's mechanics of ETF creation, mm. I to i for
2: you—I want to <laughs> talk about—I
3: want to talk about, I want to talk about um, what a lot of people, I think, are going to be interested in um, that watch this broadcast, which is what what is the sort of expected investment performance? Like, if you go back through time and sort of see how this selection mechanism has um manifested in terms of choosing comp- uh, countries that have gone out on to outperform while they're highly ranked in the index do you can you give any guidance or sense of what that has looked like uh, over time either sort of yeah. hypothetically or and or in live um trading
2: yeah well we launched the the ETF in 2019 in may have a lot of really good history. All of COVID drawdown and all of COVID recovery <laughs> uh, so far. And um it's it's you know our premises was okay freer markets they have a more sustainable growth. It's less like government mandated debt-driven growth like Evergrande, right? Um it's it recovers faster from drawdowns. That was a premise we had and then it uses capital more efficiently. Um so we got a chance to test that in 2020. Um, we did underperform the drawdown and that's because we had no China. China outperformed everyone globally in the in the drawdown, the COVID drawdown, um, and then we outperformed the recovery. So we outperformed emerging markets, broad emerging markets, emerging markets ESV, and emerging markets ex China. So we outperformed everyone in the recovery. So that I'm glad it turned out that way because that was the premise that you know we would outperform in a recovery environment. And so at the if you zoom out on that on that period of underperformance and that period of outperformance, it ends out. It turns out about the same. So it was like same as the benchmark um, in 2020. And in fact, if you zoom out over the two and a half years, the fund has been live. It is very like almost identical. So it, it's the same. It's a little higher, but almost identical. So it's the same, and that's due to, you know, periods of both underperformance and outperformance. Of course, this year we're outperforming because of China underperforming. So, uh, so, so that's, uh, uh, it should, I think, um, be a pretty good reflection of emerging markets as a whole. Um, and kind of almost reflect that benchmark, even though we don't we have a much freer country set. And that's what really what we're going for, we're not going for we're not promising alpha. Although, obviously, in the long term, I believe that freer countries will have alpha, especially if we if Wall Street continues to miss autocracy risk, like the ones in China. Um, and I, I believe Wall Street will continue to misprice that um, because of the feedback loops that go on. People trying to get licenses there, so they have to say good things because, you know, the government grants those licenses. So um, that's going to continue. And as long as that continues, there will be alpha to be had in the freer emerging markets. And I believe that. But that's not what we're promising. We're just promising a diverse, you know, broad, you know 10 country emerging markets country set that is much freer than your... Benchmarks out there.
1: And do you have any interest for a freedom bond?
2: I do have interest in that. <laughs> we have interest in, in that, Frontier, a lot of other ideas, ESG version, um a security level. Um so there's a lot of different ideas that we have in mind. Um to be honest, right now, I'm like, I don't know what we should do next. Um, there's so many options. There's so many uh great people that are willing to help us. Um, And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, But honestly, like I, I'm like, I don't know what should do next uh, as our next product. There's there's something to be said
1: about focusing on this one thing and And getting it to a couple billion, right?
2: Yeah, I'm really enjoying focusing on this one thing right now. So, so I don't know. I don't know when or if or what the next product will be at this, at this time.
3: (laughs) All right. Well, now we can maybe talk about your partnership with Alpha Architect and how did that okay. come about and um, how, what is your, you know, current working arrangement with those guys? How have they helped you out and how did you, you know what and- you were getting
1: into? Yeah. That's a good question.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's a great question. Um, you guys know West really well. So, um, definitely you can, you can, uh, understand that. Um, those guys are great. So they, obviously they're freedom fighters. Uh, so obvious choice of partner, but mm-hmm. before I even you know, thought about working with them, I was trying to license this out to like, iShares and, you know, SSGA. And I met with all those firms and, you know, uh, and of course they weren't interested. Uh, there were a couple of mid-sized firms that were interested. Um, and we had talks and didn't work out each time. And then eventually I was like, great. Well, we have to, I guess we have to launch this on our own <laughs> so that's when i talked to rob and rob was like okay i'll invest such and such amount i want to own this much amount of the firm whatever um i was like okay so so then i talked to to wes actually i talked to rob afterwards but first i talked to wes i went to their democratized quant conference um and i had known Wes for a couple of years at this point and i was like hey do you, you know do you guys partner with us and launch this together and at this time they didn't have their ETF architect, white label platform. And mm-hmm. they thought about doing that yeah. apparently. So, and they were like, no, he was like, no, dude. That's exactly, you know you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, totally <laughs> so we cool, sounds right. Yeah.
2: So he was like, you should do this on your own. And so then through the rest of that year, this was Democratized quant, so like March-ish, throughout the rest of the year, until like Thanksgiving time, he's teaching me to do it on my own, you know, like he does, because that's what he does. He just mentors people amazing. And so, so I was ready to do it on my own at that point. And, you know, at the time, he still needed an exempted relief. Mine was being drafted by US Bank. And he had helped me negotiate deals with US Bank, things like that. Like, he's been great all this time. And then around Thanksgiving, we're on on the phone. He's like, great idea. He's like, you should do this with us. And I'm like, did we not Already have this conversation, <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, but blah blah." So now, so so I said Sorry, yes. I got win,
1: win, win, win yes! <laughs> win, win. a win-win. I got a win-win idea for you. It's a classic, less.
2: Exactly. So yeah. So so that's how it happened, and uh, uh, now he does it for like twenty other people, including now arc. So,
1: well, he talks about wanna, you as a the poster child of how to launch an ETF, right? Totally. So no, yeah. the the you know one of the things they talk about is that you have to have a following, you have to have a passion project, knowing that you're going to get into this and it's going to be a grind for the longest time. You need to reach I don't know what's a break even for an ETF these days. I don't remember.
2: Depends like on the how much do you, the usually it's fifty million. It depends on the depends on the expense ratio, right?
1: Right. So so you got to ramp up to fifty million fairly quickly, and, and when you got into it, what was your what's your view on that you're like i'm gonna be in 50 in six months like what how what level of um of uh you know commitments that you have when you were going into it and i was expecting two years
2: i was planning for two years
1: and when did did you launch it um may of
2: 2019.
1: wow good for you but then of course
2: covid happened you know? Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't
1: matter that you raise money. If you get a 50% or a 30%.
2: I was literally like, are we going to survive? I I, I remember, um, Lauren Templeton, um, the, of the Templeton's right. Um, reached out to me and was like, Hey, I love this. How can we help? I was like, Hey, like you're, you know, on the trustee at the Templeton foundation. Do you guys want to help us? Like literally asking for charity. And they were like, uh, (laughs) you know, you're, you're actually a for-profit organization. I was like, Oh yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, literally, I didn't know we were going to survive. I was like, <laughs> and right. so, um, so I, you know, thankfully for people in our community, uh, you know, and there, that was a scary time for product issuers and, and, and uh, you know, providers. So, so yeah, uh, there are times when I, I didn't know if we would survive and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, now coming from the other side of that, but, you know, you guys know there's many times like that. So it's all part of the adventure. It's
1: called being an <laughs> entrepreneur. That's yeah. right. If you're That's not really terrified true. every other quarter, you're not doing it right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, there's people like, oh, you, you cry every night um, because you're terrified. But now, like, I'm at a point where I, I came to a point where I was like, crying because I was exhausted I was like I'm just so tired because <laughs> you're, <Like,
3: laughs> you're
1: growing so much right yeah. Yeah. No, feel, so, we're feeling a little bit of that here as well we're yeah. at 150 and we're like this we wanted this right yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> this. this is this is the dream this is the, the heaven that we like, all spoke of
2: I'm so tired oh. living the dream <laughs>
1: <laughs> can I go back to mediocrity please yeah.
2: no but no, I, I love that's it that's um, obviously
3: it's a really, really good story. It's a huge success story, and and you're you know you forged your own way, in what is traditionally an extremely challenging industry, and um, to come out the other side with a hundred million dollars in your in your fund in the first year and a half or so is just you know a tremendous success. A yeah. Well, Congratulations. Yeah, I want to say that yeah. that's that's Thank amazing.
2: You. I appreciate that. Love it. Well, listen,
3: Perth. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, this has been really interesting, and uh, it's great to catch up with you again. I, right? I want to say though, where people like, can. I want to say, yeah, yeah, where can we yeah. find it? Okay,
2: hey, this is not it alone. So thank you for that. Congratulations, and I appreciate people to celebrate it with. Um, but I didn't do it alone, and you guys know that. Um, you know, so so they can find us on FreedomETFs.com is the ETF, um, Life and indexes.com is the index. Um, I'm on Twitter. Perth underscore toll, uh, and on LinkedIn.
1: And, and then in the next major economic forum with, uh, uh, the top economists of the world doing some further uh, speeches, right? That's right. right. Have you been invited (laughs) back since? She'll be
3: in Davos next year. That's right.
1: Davos (laughs) is is up next. Um, back home. Awesome, Perth. So that's, uh, okay, so we'll find you there. And, and just anybody who's still here, um, just don't forget to smash that like button, the subscribe, you know, share this amazing knowledge that uh, Perth has bestowed upon us today to the world if you can. And uh, ho- let's have you again once you're, the moment you hit a billion in a couple of months, we're going to have you <laughs> here and, and we're going to pop some champagne this time.
2: All right. Cheers to you guys too. Congratulations on your, all of your success. So.
1: Thanks. All right, Berth. (laughs) We'll have a great weekend. And we'll chat soon. Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode by visiting investresolve.com forward slash podcasts. We also encourage you to engage with us on Twitter by searching the handle at InvestResolve. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email or social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that this podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.